God bless you. How are you all this morning? And it's wonderful to be a child of God, serving the Lord, able to live in this day of such turmoil, such darkness, such trouble. And yet we are kept by the power of God. Amen. God bless you. Let's turn today, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. So not to the preacher, not to the church, not to the government, not to politicians, but looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. To me, there's such a great thing that we can learn out of this example, the way that he looked at difficulty. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. How did he deal with it? For the joy that was set before him. You know what that joy was? You. It was what was going to be accomplished by what he went through. So he kept this before him through all the hardship and all the difficulty. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Isn't that wonderful? How in the world could we comprehend such a love of a mighty God that would be willing to do such for us. How many like to be remembered today as we, as we pray? God bless you. Hold your request and your need in your heart. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we counted such an opportunity, Lord, to be able to read these passages of Scripture and believe that they are true. Lord, many of us have been reading these things for decades of our lives, and yet they are still so profound and so overwhelming to us to think that you would be willing to become all of that for us. Lord Jesus, that you would suffer like no one else could suffer. You would be humiliated. You would be shamed. You would be laughed at, ridiculed, made fun of all that you did. And you did it with us in mind. I pray, Father, that you would help us, that we would be able to Deal with the things of life that are given to us, our lot, as Brother Branham called it, the human grab bag. Things that we will suffer and things that we will be plagued with, even in our humanity. Help us to be able to look at it in the right way as you did, for the joy that is set before us. Lord God, we ask that you would help us today in the service. Father, you see this prayer cross that I have in my hand today. Lord, you know this, this child, this drug baby. Dear God, because of what happened to it, Lord, not by its own choice, but a mother. Lord Jesus, that was in a terrible, terrible way. Now it affected this child. Sometimes it's controllable. Sometimes it's out of control. But, Lord, my mind goes back several years ago to a saintly sister 
who had taken a child into her home, which was not her own. And that baby would cry and squall and scream because its mother had also taken drugs. So the baby was addicted. They tried everything they knew to do. So her and her husband and family drove down here, Lord. And she said, I believe Brother Donnie will pray. God will heal her. She laid that child in my arms. It was squalling, crying. We joined our faith together, Carol and I, with these people, saints of God. And instantly, the presence of God moved for that child. The doctors told her she'd be affected in her brain. She'd never be able to do many kinds of things. But she has all kinds of achievements on her walls of things that you helped her to do. And we believe you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, move for this child, would you, Lord? In the name of Jesus, may your grace, this child is not to blame for it, Lord. May the Spirit of God help it, Lord. All the rest of our needs, our desires, our petitions, we bring them before you, Father. We commit them to you. Speak to us today from your word, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. And the saints said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So good to see each one of you here today. Strength, weakness, grace, power, a melody of God's great working that sometimes maybe in our minds would make no sense. Whenever we go to try to blend things together, you sisters that are going to prepare a meal, and you'll think, well, I'll I'll do chicken today. And then you think, well, what would go good with chicken? Well, Johnny don't like green beans, and uh, Susie don't like carrots. And so you try to sort through your options of what you think you can prepare. And then you get that meal done, and then tomorrow you've got another one. And your life is filled with that sort of thing of trying to pick things that will harmonize and go together. Our spiritual life is in, in a sense in the same way, that it is made up of blessings. It is made up of wonderful moments that we have with God and that we have with each other. It's made up also of difficult times. It's made up of trying times, things that are self-inflicted, many of them, things that are brought on us because a family member or a close friend does something. It's not really our fault, but because we love them, then we suffer when they do something. Also, then the things that God, by His sovereignty, will let us go through. And He chooses things that are good, sometimes things that are difficult, things that are bad. And then we always have our enemy, the devil, That is trying to bring things upon us which will upset us, mess up our minds, mess up our walk, mess up our thinking. So it's like we have a kaleidoscope of all these different things in our life. And if it was us alone that made these choices, I mean, you know what? We're, We're pretty difficult to live with just on our own. But then we have all of these other things that make an input on our lives. So every one of us, every day of our life, have this onslaught of different things that we have to deal with. But I'm so grateful that 
Our lives are not just self-controlled, are not just manipulated by the hands and the lives and the input of others. But more importantly, our lives are under the control of Almighty God. And we have this assurance then that the things that He will allow to come to pass in our lives, they will always be for the outworking of our good. Now, we can't say that actually about ourselves because many of the things that we brought on ourselves, uh, we're still dealing with the aftermath to this very day. And probably some of them will never be totally changed and eradicated until we're, we're delivered from this mortal body. Things that maybe friends and family members have done to us and throwed us in many dilemmas. And we'll be dealing with that for many, many years. But unlike ourselves and friends and others and things that are brought about upon us which are beyond our control, we know that our Lord is constantly watching out for us. And even whenever things will come our way that seemingly are so bad and so terrible. And you know that we have the statement, why do good things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? And then why do bad things happen to good people? And you look around and you think, David said, why is it that the wicked, that the wicked prosper and the wicked do so good? And the elect of God and the righteous people, it seems that they would suffer so much. So it's always been a puzzle in the mind of humanity to be able to look and sort through it and say, well, why would God allow this one to go through that and this one over here? You know, David said they spread forth like a green day tree. And all kinds of good things seemingly come their way. And they are, they are evil and they are wicked and they're terrible people. And yet the righteous, you look at them and it seemed like so many horrible things come by their way. But we have to trust and know and believe that our Father in allowing many difficult things to come our way is to our advantage. Now, then it comes our responsibility that we believe in the sovereignty of God and the quote that we all love so much from the church age book that I read to you, I think it was last week, that how can I conduct myself before him and during the difficult times, that I will conduct myself with joy, with joy amidst the trials and his wisdom allowed to come to pass. Now, there is a great victory in actually being able to do that. And I will be the first one to say today, I've not always done that. I've not always had joy. I've not always taken pleasure and infirmity. I've not always thought it was such a blessing to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. And I would say that more than likely I could say that for probably pretty much everybody else that's here today. Uh, but as humans, what we tend to do is I've tended to complain and tend to say, God, why me? And how come you would let me go through this? And I, I don't understand. But I, I can say honestly today that I don't do that as much as I used to. Thank the Lord. Now, I know that I've improved. But I also can see room for more improvement in that aspect. Anybody else with me on the same page? Okay. All right. So in other words, I'm all right to go ahead and preach the direction I'm going this morning. Y'all think you probably could get a little something out of it that'll help you? All right. So then whenever we look at that, now what I find in this is that it comes in stages as well as other things with the power of God. 
Now, as I mentioned last night, it's, it's so much easier for us to see the miraculous power of God that God will display His power in healing someone and, and we would see an instant cure or we would see an instant visible something that would move as an affliction in a person's body and automatically our eyes is able to see it. We say, wow, what a display of the power of God. I love seeing those things. I've seen them for decades in my life and they never become old or common to me. But I'm realizing more and more as I go on that there is another display of the power of God, which in reality is, is just as great. Now, most people would not count it near as supernatural or near as phenomenal, but yet really the way God looks at it, it is a greater display because it requires a display that must be continuing day by day by day. And that is being able to keep the people of God through the hour of great difficulty and trial. And we may not look at that as being a great display of the power of God, but in reality it is. Now, well, I want to call your attention again this morning to the scripture that we looked at last night in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul in verse 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me? So you mean there is a display of the power of God that is on a person's life when they're going through difficulties, but they may actually feel less than they have felt in months. They may actually feel less of the power of God than they have felt in many a day. But there is more of the power of God being displayed in their life because of the greatness of their trials. Now I wonder this morning, whenever we all go through these difficult types of times, do we recognize the power of God on our lives or is it the unrecognized presence of God because we don't feel it? Or we don't sense it in the normal way that we would sense healing and we would sense great, great burst of joy. And you know, great, great times when the presence of God is moving and we're rejoicing. But is this an aspect of the power of God that we simply do not recognize as being very great? At all. Now listen what Paul had come to this recognition. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul actually had grown. Now this did not come to him initially. This did not come to him, no doubt, the first six months, maybe the first year that he was a Christian. This is many years now in the advancement of his walk with God. We don't know exactly when it happened, but no doubt it must have been a key that was linked to the abundance of the revelations that had been given to him. And after this abundance, and there was a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. He had trial after trial, situation after situation. He sought God about it, and God gave him an answer. 
Now, the answer was not, okay, give me six months and I'll heal you. Let me try you for a year. It was never really a promise of how long this would endure. Simply, my grace will be sufficient. No doubt he pondered, he thought about it, he wondered, he went back to the scripture, he began to seek God, God, there must be that I am not the first person that this has ever happened to. Maybe it was Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, we don't know, because Paul never actually gave us the authority or the scriptural background by which he reminisced in his mind to think of the examples that God would have done this to before. But it come to him and it was a progression in his understanding to realize that there is the power of God on a, power, on a person's life that is helping them to deal with such a situation. Now, Paul did not say that he actually liked it humanly. He did not say that it was any more enjoyable humanly. But he actually reached a place in God that he found great pleasure in being torn all to pieces. I'm afraid I'm not quite there yet. Praise the Lord. Now, for those of you that are there, you can be dismissed right now if you'd like, because I'm not sure that the rest of the service will be a benefit to you. Notice he said, I count it a privilege that I would be able to be afflicted, tested, tried, because I found when I go through these things, that there is a portion of the power of God released to me that I never noticed before. And it was that the tabernacle of the Almighty places his Shekinah around my life and imparts something to me that he actually calls a glory. So whenever I go through these things and God allocates to me a glory that he did not impart by revelation, that he did not impart by more money or more things of life, because he knows that I am most vulnerable, I am very weak, and we know when we get weak, we do get vulnerable. When we get weak, then our mind goes to wondering and try to sort and through things. And how come this? And why that? And did I mess up? Because I'm going through this. Well, what, what is allowing this? Does God love me less? Does God not care for me? Actually, when we get there, you can see why we need more intimate, close watch, more intimate, close observation than we do when we are strong because God knows that we are vulnerable. How many can say amen to this this morning? How many feels vulnerable when you get weak? How many feels vulnerable and very open and you're, you're precautious because of where you are? Well, if you know that about yourself, how much more does the Lord Jesus know that about us? Now he says, I've come to a spot to realize that whenever I get here, that the power of God actually is, is released to me in a more abundant way that will help compensate because he knows I'm so vulnerable in this time of weakness. So the strength which Christ 
imparts to me will actually be made manifest in a greater way. And then the word that Paul uses here is most glad that therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ. Notice the connection now. I will most gladly therefore glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. So there is a connection in us allowing God's grace to work in our lives, the infirmities, the afflictions and the necessities, the despairs, whatever it is in our life and we are able to recognize it instead of having an attitude against God instead of questioning God and getting angry at God but we recognize and say hey wait a minute instead of me getting all upset instead of me allowing this to drive me to this spot to where that I begin to develop an attitude against God against the preacher against church against my family maybe God is wanting to pull me up close to him Maybe the Father is wanting to embrace me in a closer way than actually I've been in a long time. And I may not feel it like I normally do. I may not sense tingles or it may not be of something that makes me just feel like rejoicing. But if I am in this weak spot in my life, He has not brought me here to cause me to collapse. He has not brought me here because it would become unbecoming to his justice to do such. So apparently this is a time of great precious, precious thing to me and him. If I can only recognize and use this time as a time to pray, which is really odd because generally when we get there, the devil wants us to pray less. We generally want to read our Bibles less. Well, come on, Happy Valley. We generally want to listen to tapes less and actually even miss our third time to be able to come to church. <laughs> you know, because we, we didn't get nothing the last third time back that we was church, so we think, well, why should I even go? When in reality, it should be the opposite if we're looking at ourselves in this time to realize that the Father wants to turn this into a real close love relationship. But because we're not feeling it, because we're not excited, because we pray and seemingly our prayers aren't answered, then we tend to regress and we tend to go back and we tend to kind of pull back away from his presence. But Paul said, I've chosen this. He said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, I found this amazing in studying this, that the word means to pitch a tent upon. So Paul said, I have actually come to an understanding that when I come to such disparity of life, that if I could look about me that the Lord Adonai has actually pitched a tent of special protection around me because I am so tried, I am so vulnerable, I am so weak when I'm going through this that instead of him being away from me the way that it actually feels, instead of him departing from me as Satan would like for me to believe, there is actually this invisible canopy or tabernacle of his presence. It's called the tent of a trial. And really when I'm up on the mountain, I do not need this special covering. When I'm up 
on the mountaintop. I do not need this canopy of his grace that would protect me. But when I'm going through such hardships and trials, he comes down with his mighty power and places this tent and this canopy around my life. Notice this, the word means to pitch a tent upon, then to dwell in or upon. So it is the sense of abiding or remaining upon this person. So it renders to us the sense that the power that Christ manifested to his people and abode upon them in their trials is a more special, intimate power than when they're being so blessed beyond measure. It's no wonder that Paul could look at this with a changed perspective. Now, as I said, I need to be enlightened this morning. I need to be enlightened to this understanding because let me be honest with you, there is an element of this that I am missing. Now, I can read it and I believe it, but that's the Logos. But I need for this to be made rhema in my own walk with God. Anybody else does? I'm sure you do. So once that I can make this, uh, God can make it rather, excuse me, to be real to my heart, then I can take it and make it my own possession. Because for so many of us, we wait for this to pass and that to pass. And well, if I can get through this, I I know I'll be better. Or if I can get through that, I know life will be better. And and you know, Satan loves to get us on that merry-go-round because once we get this situation taken care of, then what does he do? He simply puts another horse in front of you. And you get that one taken care of and then there's another one and it will absolutely never end. That's not the answer, but the answer is learning to deal with whatever, whether it's God, Satan, your children, your family, your boss, whatever happens by the instruments that's in your life in front of you that you learn by the grace of God to contend with it and have an element of contentment in your life, whether it's there or whether it's gone. Because if you base it simply on, well, one day COVID will pass and then we'll be back to normal. Well, COVID ain't even passed and we got all these riots and stuff that are going on. Is that right? Our nation's in a mess, friend. You know that as well as I do. We're in a political mess. We're in this divided mess. It's absolutely horrible. We think, well, it'll get better. COVID will get better. All this stuff will die down. Really? I wonder if we've not moved into a phase prophetically to where that it will never be the same again. I'm afraid that a lot of people around the message who have sat around for so many years and they've waited and waited and they've played church and we have arrived in an hour and they're going to wait for this to get out of the way and that to get out of the way. I'm not sure we will ever be the same again. I'm not waiting for this to get past so I can get my joy back. I want my joy in the midst of COVID. I want my joy in the midst of racial things going on and I hate the race thing. I absolutely hate it. Not one person should be ever treated any different because of their race. That's what we believe. That's where we stand for. But yet we know Satan is using this. He's the one behind of all of this stuff. We know he is. He's the one behind all this COVID stuff. He's the one behind all the divorce and all the things that are rampant in the world. We know that. But there's no need for us to say, 
well, once it's all passed, we'll be happy again. You better find your source of happiness in Christ Jesus. When COVID passes, something else will come. Whenever these protests settle down and all this passes, something else will come. You better get a real hold and a great sure hold in behind the veil or you're going to be sad and depressed the rest of your life. That's right. Notice then in verse 10 how Paul would move this on into a little deeper phase of this. Therefore, I take pleasure. Even the baby laughed. <laughs> I take pleasure in infirmities. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, is there anybody honestly can say you do that in just one of the above? Now, I find this to be so amazing because many times the message folks consider themselves so far beyond Paul. They are so deep and they know so much. They're so bit far beyond Peter and James and John and they basically look at them like a bunch of schoolboys, you know. But I, I don't mind telling you, friend, these men have the power of God in their lives. Now, no matter how much we quote about the seven thunders and the seals and this and that and the other, what good does it do all of that if we cannot let our lives line up to the de declared truths that's in the Bible? This is still the Bible. It's God's holy word. So no matter how much we think we know about all the things that the messengers brought to us, and if we do not allow these things to be made manifest in our life, then actually it shows us that we need to move up. Anybody say amen to that? Now, how is it that a man, and I read to you just a little bit last night of what the prophet said that Paul would have been through. So he was there in the prison and rats running over his body and hardly had any food to eat at all and he lost so much weight. And no doubt his eyes were all sunk in and there were dark circles around his eyes and there were spiders in that place and there was rats and it was damp and it was cool and oh my, I just can't imagine all that the man uh, bore, the reproaches, the necessities. He was beat, he was whipped, he was whipped with beat with rods, he was uh, stoned and all the afflictions that he went through. But remember, these were not self-inflicted, but for the cause of Christ. But he had actually not learned how just to bear it, just to barely hang on. And barely hang on from one day to the next to the next. But this man had broken into a realm of God's power that by going through this, he found actually pleasure. Now I want you to think this morning as we speak about this, what do you find pleasure in? For some of you, it would be getting in a boat and riding down a lake. 
For others of you, it might be uh, casting a rod into a, a, a trout stream. For others, it might be taking your camper and going down to a, a nice, cool spot and sitting there. For some of you, it might be shopping. For others of you, no doubt there's different things that you would think about. And for most of us, we do not bring this uh, element of pleasure with anything associated with pain. Right? But we think of it as giving us reprieve from our worries. Reprieve. So, you and your wife go on Monday and you decide you're going to drive down to Knoxville. You ain't really going nowhere. You're just going to drive. And you know, oh, the, we just had such a good trip and we ate down at our favorite restaurant down there. You know, we just stopped and shopped a little bit and went here. Well, you enjoyed that. But here, this man broke into an understanding, and the only way this could be possible is that he had actually broke into the divine nature of Almighty God, which had merged into the human nature of the Lord Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus actually took joy for the joy that was set before him of what was going to be accomplished by these horrific things he was going to suffer. So Paul actually not saw what was beyond heaven and in the third heavens there and seeing the great wonderful things there. But he got something in this life that most people will never have. You talking about heavenly. You talking about the power of God that would rest on a man's life that he would find pleasure in suffering for the cause of Christ. Not to just endure it. Oh God, pray for me. I'll be able to make it till next Sunday. Oh Lord, pray for me. I don't get to come back again till three more, sir. Oh Lord, I'm not sure I can endure it. I'm going through so much. Oh God, oh God, help me, oh God. But this man actually found an element of soul pleasure in being defamed, criticized, lies told about him, ridiculed. He had necessities. At times he was naked. At times he was destitute. At times he experienced hunger. He experienced fever. He experienced all kinds of things. But he found in there there was an element of divine pleasure because the canopy of God was spread over his soul. How many needs help? Hmm. Let me read it again. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. My, my. Now, I don't mind telling you a couple of weeks ago, Carol and I and our family went over to Wilbur, and we planned on having a little Sunday evening together after church, and took the camper over there and parked it all, and my, we ate, and, you know, had a good time together, and then a little bit after 12 o'clock, I was awakened by sharp, excruciating pain. I didn't glory. I didn't say, this is wonderful. Oh, thank God. Sorry if that disappoints you. Carol and I prayed for a couple hours. I took a couple Advil, of course, in the name of Jesus. Oh, Brother Donnie, you take pain meds? You better believe it. I've got enough sense to take them. 
That's right. I laid there till 2.30 or 3, whatever more, and went back to sleep, and then had to come out of there the next morning. Now, why was I there? To get a little bit of relief from the things I deal with in life? To have a little bit of enjoyment and fun with my family? And I have this. It was not pleasurable. I had to leave Carol and the four small girls there, come back out the next day. Uh, then I decided to go back, bring the camper back in, wind up going to the ER, check myself into the ER. I hope I never have such a pleasurable camping trip again. From this time on, I will never think of Wilbur exactly in the same light. Now some of y'all go down there and you get your waders on and you wade in them cool waters and you get your kayak and your fishing rod and boy, you cast out there and you think, this is so relaxing. Take my word for it. There can be a side of Wilbur that is not relaxing at all. But now wouldn't it be something if the children of God in this message, and we believe that God has sent us this message and we thank God for it, but if we were able to move to what this man in the first century actually had, to when we go through trials and tests, that we look at it that we've actually found favor in the eyes of God. The prophet said the greatest thing that can ever happen to you is actually the test. And to know that you have found favor in his eyes. But now we deem favor as God trusted me to make me a, you know, a millionaire. God trusted me to have a big old house. God trusted me to be this. And God, no, but that's not always the way God trusts his people. But you actually find your greatest element of favor in God's eyes when God allows you to go through things that would absolutely devastate and destroy others. It would make them turn their back on God. But not you. Not you. And you don't, even, you don't even understand it yourself. You think, I would have never thought I would have been able to go through such a thing. Well, in reality, it's not you. It's the tent. Amen. Now, I don't mind telling you, I I'm kind of glad that we've moved beyond the dispensation of tent revivals. Now, some of you, many of you probably went to tents whenever tents was around. Uh, and there was things about it that I liked. There was more things about it than I didn't like, needless to say. But, you know, I'm glad that we're still in the days of the tent. Now, it's not necessarily a canvas. Now, Harry and I used to take them and put up, and I worked with Randy West out of West Virginia. I actually took his tent, and I took a tent crew, and I, I was in charge of setting it up. So it was 70 feet wide, 190 feet long. We had great big center poles that were about this big around. Then we had three-quarter poles, and then we had side poles. I did the electricity. I wired it up, drove the tent truck, and all of that. And there was so much work that was involved, so many things that you'd run into, so much stuff that would happen. 
And yet, you know, there's things about it. Was there a certain times it was good? Oh, yeah, yeah, there were certain times it was good. But there was a lot of bad things that went along with it. And as I look at this, I realize the phenomenon of the supernatural tent of God's presence being over our lives in this way is only brought to pass when we are at our weakest moment. Brother Darrell and I was over in Kentucky a few years ago and the church there, they had put up a tent meeting and they had an outreach type of meeting. And Brother Darrell was preaching that night. We'd shared the services and there was a tornado that was not too far away from where we were. And I, I was sitting back there with Carol. Well, I'd been in a lot of storms and tents and I don't mind telling you, I was getting a little bit concerned because of the way it was coming and the way the wind was moving. And Brother Darrell told me after the service, he said, if you had batted an eyelash, everybody in that tent would have left, me included. So it was becoming frightful. And sure enough, there was a tornado that had come down. It had come down drenching torrential rains. And we had to raise our feet up because the water was pouring down under the tent. But yet, you know, we was able to still stay there. The storm passed. And Brother Darrell did an excellent job in preaching it. And the Lord was able to, to come and move in the service. So tents have mixed sort of feelings. And I've been in those tents whenever you think, if God ain't merciful to us, we'll never survive this one. I've been in them to where that you would actually have to let one side of the tent down in order to be able to face the storm. There'd be other times when you would drop one side of the tent and you'd raise the flaps on the other side because if you didn't, the wind would blow it away. So there's terrible things about tents. And myself, dealing with tents, I see the contrast of this tent of his presence that it's not always when things are going so good. Now, there are times whenever it's glorious, as we would say, as we were set up down in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the National Geographic t t uh, television team came down there and they videoed some of the services. You can find it in the National Geographic magazine. And they took pictures of the tent and they videoed it they interviewed me they interviewed brother west and uh, that was that was all right but yet there's other times when it was frightful there was times whenever someone had to sleep out under that tent so somebody wouldn't steal your PA system and all that sort of thing. There was times you wasn't sure what you would eat. Me and Carol stayed in one one time up in Kentucky and we was there and we didn't have no money and the offerings was very, very small. So the only thing we had to eat was what people brought to us. There was a gas station not too far from where the tent was and I had to walk down there and shave in the back of the toilet. That's not hard to do. You just reach down, take the lid of the toilet off, and you shave. You do what you got to do. So myself looking at this, I, I see the parallel with the tent of his presence. That it does not always come whenever things are going so splendid and so wonderful. But the tent over your life is a great significance that your needs are so, so many. And he considers you at such a state of vulnerability that he shrouds your life with his presence to help you. Because if he does not, the despair will drive you insane. Amen. Can his children be put there? Oh, yes. Go with me, if you will, to one of the greatest prophets of the Bible. He had just cursed Jezebel and Ahab. He had told them the judgment of God was on their life. He had called fire down out of heaven 
Call rain out of heaven and run from the threat of one woman. He goes under a juniper tree and there he lays and the prophet tells us that he had a nervous breakdown. Waking up and then he go back to sleep and waking up, go back to sleep. Entered into this deep depression. So many people do when they go into depression and they sleep a lot. They have no drive, no desire to do much of anything. But God saw the state of his prophet and he sent down some angels that were chosen to be able to minister to this man in his hour of need. This prophet of God may not have been able to sense it because his eagle eye had become filmed over. But there was a presence of the tent of Jehovah. And God sent down an angel with the softest hand. Now we would have never known that there was a difference in the touch of angels' hands until we embraced the message of the hour. But God picked out the angel with the softest hand. And he went down and began to stroke this prophet Elijah. God picked the angel that was a good cook. We wouldn't have thought angels either knew how to cook or needed anything to eat, would we? But God picked the angel that knew how to cook. And he began to cook a meal and they went down in teams as it were under the canopy of God's presence. So one prepared the meal while the other one stroked him and woke him up. Because he was in such despair. I believe our God is just as mindful of you today. Maybe all the things that you're facing and going through are overwhelming to you. Our God still has angels. And he still has the tent of his presence. But uh, the fact of it is, for many of us, it's not that we are too weak. It's that we are too strong. We hide. We hide and put on this facade and we put on this fake smile and this imagery and we tell people what we think they want to hear. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. When you're devastating on the inside. That's pride, friends. Praise the Lord. Notice this, the prophet said, in perfect strength and perfect weakness, we try to make our weaknesses excuses. We want to tell how big we are, how great we are. I think that's one of the things that God gave me the text for, was to get that out of our mind, see? There's little things that we do, and that's what we come to church for, is to find out where our faults are. How many comes to church for that reason? We come to find out where our faults is and the things that we might be better ourselves by. You see, that's one good thing about you not having the remote push, play, fast forward, rewind. Because if you're in charge of what's played in the service, then you can pick out which one you want to listen to and pick out which one you want the people to hear. And if you've got an agenda, then you will pick a tape that will match your agenda. But you know what? God never did do it that way. God always sent men that were led of the Holy Ghost and they would preach what the Spirit wanted them to preach and give the people what they needed, not what they wanted. Amen. Amen. That's why your pastor does not come with a remote. 
Now I realize many of you would love it if I did. You would love it all much. It's kind of like, you know, uh, the passenger, whenever the passenger is sitting over in the other seat and you are driving and uh, you get closer to the car in front of you than what they're used to. You ever notice that brake on that side over there never works? And then they always grab for the emergency eject thing. They, they grab for the thing here on the door or they grab for this sling up here. They're always in preparation, you know, because they just, you're making them nervous in what you're doing. Well, well, some of you, I see that. You know, you're so used to remotes. You got remotes of your DVD player and you got remotes of your TV and you got remotes of this and that and the other in your life. Oh, some of you would like me so much better if I had a remote. But can you imagine if hundreds of people had a remote on one preacher? There ain't no telling what in the world, I'd say. There ain't no telling which way I'd go. Some of you would rewind me just for the fun of it. Some of you would fast forward me for the fun of it. Some of you would be jumping me up and down. Some of you would turn me around and walk out. Some of you would change my notes and modify. So God said, no, none of my sons come with remotes. So they just preach what I put on their heart, even though they may not understand it themselves. Now watch, Brother Ram said, this is why we go to church. So we don't go to church in order to be able to get things that we like to hear, but we go to hear our faults and our shortcomings. If we come to church for any other objective than this, I'm afraid we don't get too much out of coming to church. We must come to find our weaknesses. Find our bad places and see how little we are. Oh my goodness, that don't sound like it described the majority of Laodicean Christians. They don't go to church to find their faults. They go to church for the preacher to tell them how good they are and how wonderful they are and how great they are. A lot of message folks are turned into the same way, but that's not what the prophet said. We come to find our faults. We come to see how rotten we are. We come to get spankings. We come to get salt poured in the wounds. And then we come back next time and smile and say, praise God, here I am again. Notice now he said there's so many of us that likes to testify or likes to think that we're insufficient. And therefore, we make that an excuse. Now, for many people, they say, well, I, I can't do it. And I'm not able. And I, I'm just so bad and many folks think that's humility. That's not humility. Satan's lying to you. Amen. Testing. One, two, three, one, two, three. That becomes an excuse that you hide behind. Watch this. We make that an excuse. I have no education. I have no ability. I'm unable to do this. Friend, you talking about a parallel that is, oh my goodness. This is what we would say really whenever God calls us to do something. But do you know other people can say the exact same words and it's hypocrisy? God don't want any of us to say, I can do it. I'm equipped to do it. I'm more than able to do it. Why, isn't this the right thing to say? Not always. Because some are using this as an excuse. Praise God. 
I think we need to come back tomorrow night for y'all because y'all just sitting there quiet as a mouse. My. Notice this. I have no education. I have no ability. I'm unable to do this. If you keep that up and do that in that way, keep going like that, then you can't mount, which is Kentuckian for amount. You can't mount to anything. Well, I mean, isn't that what we're supposed to say? That we don't have no education, we're not able, we can't do it? No, not always. You see, when this is being said as an excuse, well, I can't do it, I'll just mess up. Why should I try? I've tried, 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 tried. Every time I try, I just fail. So now you're using your failures then as an excuse to keep from trying again. But some people hear, well, that, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. That's right, just, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, just go ahead and say it over and over again. No, that's not always the way you're supposed to do. When you are using that as an excuse to excuse you from trying again, you are being deceived. But you're being deceived by so much truth that you can't even catch it. Is it true we're failures? Is it a truth that we can't do it? Is it truth that we're no good? But you see, the error is when we take that truth and make those truths our excuses for not trying. Well, because all of that is true, why should I try? Whoo, praise the Lord then you can't amount to anything but the very thing that we make excuses by our weaknesses. Now listen what a paradox this is. God uses that very thing to tackle the job with. So I have no education. God says, I'll take it. I can't do it. I'll take it. Lord, I'm not a smart person. I'll take it. Really, Lord, I'm kind of ignorant. I'll take it. And we was putting all them things up as excuses to keep us from doing it. And God said, every one of the above means you are qualified. God, I'm a dummy. I know it. God, I ain't got good sense. I know it. Amen. Well, God, because of that, that means I can't. I said, no, no. Because of that, that means you are a perfect candidate. For strength to manifest itself through weakness. Amen. If you haven't heard this tape in a while, do you good to listen to it. Perfect strength to perfect weakness. 11th month, 19th day, 1961. Notice God uses that very thing to tackle the job. We see, He waits for us to get to that condition. So he can use us. Well, we take the excuses and say, well, I, I, I can't do this. I'm insufficient. I can't do it. And God takes the very thing to do the job with. That's true. That's the reason why. And here I thought it was my looks. You thought it was your charisma. It's your stupidity. Oh, my. It's your ignorance. 
That is humiliating, ain't it? And you're all the time. You thought it was your fair skin. Your eyelashes that flutter in the wind. No, really, it's because you are a weakling. You are puny. You are low down. You are rotten. You're good for the rubbish heap. That's where God always got his heroes out of the dump. <laughs> God don't go to the great military school. God don't go to Yale and look for his great candidates of election. But he gets them out of the rubbish heap. Off of bar stools. Needle tracks in their arms. And he gives them a new birth and transforms them and makes heroes of faith. And as long as they always remember where they came from, they'll always be a hero. But it's when they get puffed up in their head, it's when they lose hero status. Can I have a few more minutes? Notice this. Oh, God, help us, Lord. He said, we find that those people who are the weakest and the rejected by the outside world is God's heroes that conquer up in the front line. Takes those who feel themselves unworthy. Now, isn't this very similar to what he just said a while ago, that you can't do it and you're not smart enough and you ain't got an education? So there is such a truth in feeling that way, but not feeling that way to hide behind it as an excuse. So those who hide behind such things as excuses, they lay all of them and they're an armament between them and God and the reason why they can't. But a real called child of God takes some of the exact same th things, says the exact same words. I'm not educated. I'm not intellectual. I don't know how to do it. God, I don't have a personality. I can't speak well. I can't do this and that. And they lay it at God's feet. And he takes it and turns it in to armor. And gives it back to them. As armor. And they still know they can't do it. <laughs> but it's been divinely processed. And they look at it not any longer as an excuse. But as a protection. This will keep me all of my life. If I will let it. And I'll never raise above. I still can't do it. I'll never raise to a place. Now I can preach. Now I can study. Now I can sing. Now I'm a musician. No, nope, you're on your way out when you do that. Now you think these brothers here, we got some great talented brothers here that can sing, sisters that can sing and play the piano. You think that they don't know an element of what they're doing? You think they haven't played long enough to be able to play without the anointing? Sure they do. You think many of these singers are not good enough and professional enough to be able to sing without the anointing? Sure they are. But I hope they never get to a spot they think they can. 
If we're running a talent show, you don't need it. But we're not running a talent show. This is a church house. And this is where we meet together and God takes that talent and that practice and gives the spirit touch on top of that talent which will outdo any Nashville musician or any other any day out of the week. You think I ain't studied enough that I could stand up and talk? You think I don't know enough scriptures in my mind? Enough message in my mind that I've committed standing in nearly every day of my life? Oh yeah, I could. But I don't want to. Oh, I don't want to. I don't care if I'm preaching to five. I don't care if I'm preaching to 5,000. I don't want to stand out there without his anointing because I'll still tell him what I told him as a little boy when I knelt down down there in Kentucky. Oh, God, what do you want me to do? I still hear his voice. Preach my word. Preach my word. I said, God, I can't do it. God, I can't. I don't know how to talk. I get nervous. God, I can't do it. That same call still reverberates in my soul. And I tell him the same thing nearly every time I walk out them doors. God, I can't do it. God, I need you to help me. God, please help me. I've studied. I've prayed. I've studied. Please, God, lead me. Please, God, lead me. He divinely processed my excuses and turned it into my armor to keep me humble, to keep me small, to keep me little. You understand? Notice this, Brother Branham said, it takes the weakest and the rejected, practically every hero God ever had on the front line was that type of a person. Would we pick that type? Now, if we was looking for heroes, what kind would we pick? Go down to the gym, look at that guy there. Or just down and look at that little Pharisee. Can I help you, sir? What do you need? You say, that guy ain't even in his right mind. Look at that hillbilly. Lord have mercy. God didn't go around looking for great men. They could bench press 175 pounds. Man had abs like I don't know what. But God picked people that was cowards. Yellow. Pick Noah, a man with no certain objective in life, ready to do anything. But God turned him around. Made a boat builder out of a farmer. (laughs) Hallelujah. Look at God's heroes. Look at Gideon down there. Who am I? How can I do this? Look at at Saul and his initial start. I'm the least among my tribe. I'm the least in the brethren. How in the world can I do anything for the kingdom of God? When we stand there that day, brother, sister, it will be by some of the weakest people that ever lived on the face of the earth. It will not be great big basketball stars and football stars and Hollywood stars. It will be people that the world looked at and laughed at and made fun of and they give God all kinds of excuses and God said let me take them let me process them and turn them into your armor stay behind them the rest of your life let me close brother Bram said notice that it takes that weakest and rejected practically every hero that God ever had on the front line was that type of a person a person that was a rejected person that thought He was insufficient. A person that had no ability at all, then that person is just in good shape. 
so God can start using them. That's right. When they feel like that they can't, they haven't got nothing. That's when God can take it. Don't you understand? This is what our Lord Jesus through kenosis had to become. He was the Father. Listen to me. He was the Father before He became the Son. Omnipotent. Almighty. I hope this don't blow you totally away. But then on the other hand, I hope it does. <laughs> the Lord Jesus as a human never felt like he could do this. <sighs> he had to feel in the way that we would. This is why he must strip himself. As a man, he must went through the experience of feeling incapable. I'm not able. I'm not strong enough. I cannot do this. If he didn't, then when I go to him and tell him that, he cannot relate to me. He cannot relate to you, Brother Dave, or your sisters. He had to allow himself to feel that he was not capable. Praise God. Let's stand together. The prophet said that when we are thinking that we are able to do it, then God can't use us because we're wanting to do it ourselves there's one thing that we've got to master if we expect to fulfill God's desire in our life and that is we have to master the thought I want you to notice now he doesn't say master human ability but master the thought of it master the thought of human ability if we ever get to a spot where we think we can do it with our own intelligence and our own abilities, we've got to master that in such a way that we can get rid of the thing and lay it aside so God can use us. We'll get to it maybe next week. But can you imagine the Lord Jesus humbling himself to such a place that Paul called him when he set forth his office as priest? And describes the Lord Jesus, calls him Christ, and says that Christ did not put himself, glory himself, into the position of being high priest. He never thought of himself of being high priest. But Spirit God said today, have I begotten thee? And I have sworn thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Because as a man, the Lord Jesus never looked at himself as being considered worthy. 
And then we think we're somebody. Don't you understand? We're working ourselves right away from God. Let's keep ourselves where we belong in the dust. When we rise above that, we're in trouble, friends. Now, don't use these weaknesses as excuses. Lay them before God. Let God divinely process them and hand them back to you. God, I I still can't preach. I still tell God, Brother Donnie, after all these years, after all these years, yes. Preached my first sermon when I was 18 years old in my uncle's church. I entitled it, Warming by the Wrong Fire. Peter, standing out there warming his hands by the wrong fire, denying the Lord Jesus. I went maybe a grand total of 15 minutes. Oh, but you're not scared no more, right? Wrong. I have more responsibility now than I had as an 18-year-old kid. I've got more responsibility. More eyes on me. I realize I've got a greater responsibility now. I, I, I thought that when you get my age, you was at the rocking chair era. You sit up on the front porch and look across at your wife, if you can remember her name. How you doing? If you don't, you just call her darling. You know, and you, everything just calms down and slows down and you draw your pension. I'm thinking, when is it ever going to slow down? But Al told me the other day, it don't. The older you get, it keeps going faster and faster. And I think, I'm not sure I can keep up. But you look at it and you realize the older you get, the more responsibility you have. I need him more now than I did when I stepped in my Uncle Harold's pulpit and preached. Oh, I need him now. I need his help. And I still tell him, God, I can't do it. Children, I tell him all the time, God, I can't pastor these people. I can't. How can I as a mortal lead them? How can I lead them to a body change? How can I lead them to heaven? I've never been there myself. How can I? Please help me, God. Please guide me, God. This barriers. Lord Jesus, I'm only sharing with them my heart. You hear me say it over and over again. I don't feel adequate. Lord, as we go on in time and the pressure gets more difficult and the strain that comes with ministry and preaching from the outside world, from within our own ranks. Oh God, I need you. I need you now more than ever. Lord God, as I get older, I realize I don't have the vigor and strength. In time, my memory will slip. Lord, I won't be able to do as I could. But Lord, till I get to where I can't go, I want to keep on. Help me, Jesus. Help me, God, that I never get to a place that I think, well, you know, I, I've been preaching a long time. I'm not sure I need to study anymore. I'll just rehash some of them old sermons. Help me, Lord God. Lord, help these people to say, well, I, I've been living a Christian life. That's okay. I can live it by myself. Help us, God, never to think that. Help our song leaders. Help our musicians. Help our deacon brothers to realize they cannot really be a godly deacon without God helping them to be so. 
We love you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord God. We don't want to take these things now, Father, and make them excuses. We want to lay them at your feet. And I reiterate my own to you today, Lord. I, I do not know how to lead these people. Their needs are many. They're so diverse. Lord God, the people around the world that looked to this church as their home church, and God getting emails from them, and Lord, help me, God, help me. I don't know how, God. I don't know how to preach. Oh, sure, I can study. I've got my own style, my own format that I pull it together, but Lord God, I never want to step in the pulpit, whether it's before five or a funeral or whatever it is, without your inspiration being there to help me, Lord. I can't preach without you. I can't help people without you. But I'm not using that as an excuse to say, well, because I can't do it, I guess I better quit. I'm going to lay that at your feet and say, Lord God, if you want to continue to use me in your work, I present all that I am and mainly all that I am not. Because I am not definitely more than what I am. It would definitely outweigh and the scale would immediately go to the high side of what I am not. But oh Jesus, I give you what I am. My frailty, my humanity, glory to God. Help each of us here today. The prophet said our problem is not that we're too weak, but we're too strong. And in the very next line he says, too strong-headed. Help us, Lord Jesus. Forgive us of our pride, our arrogance. Forgive us. Forgive us, I pray, for making our, our weaknesses excuses. Use us, Lord God. We love you, Father. I mean, let to be remembered today before the Lord. God bless you in the visible audience and the visible audience as well. Let's sing that song here that you're playing. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Right now. Praise God. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. Oh, hallelujah. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Sing it. Praise the Lord. Lift our hands. We lift our hands, Lord. Bodies and worship
praise God. But you said, Brother Donnie, what I have is so little. I understand. I understand. Let's just follow him as he goes out of his front door that day. And his mama says, you be a good boy at school. Okay, mama. I'll see you after you get back from school. All right. You got a test today? Yes, mama. You study? Yes. But as he starts to school, he sees this massive crowd as they're gathering. And he becomes diverted as any little boy would. And he hears this man by the name of Jesus preaching. His mom had packed his lunch for him. Some loaves and a few fishes. Jesus preaching and the disciples telling him, Lord, these people are getting hungry. You need to send them away so they can buy food. He said, you feed them. They said, are you kidding? There's over 5,000 people here. We, we got enough money to buy food for them. He said, what have you got? So they got out and got to look, and here's this little boy that had skipped school. Now, the prophet used the word truant, that he had skipped school that day. He must have been a hearty little appetite fellow to want to eat that many loaves and fishes. In his hands, it was his lunch. Praise God. But delivered in the hands of Jesus, it began become the lunch for 5,000 and 12 baskets that were taken up afterwards. What you have, your faults, your failures, all of this might seem so small. You, what you have, you could bring it to the Lord Jesus in two handfuls cupped up like this. And you'd say, this is the best I can do. I'm sorry, it's not much. And he'd say, with this, I can transform lives. The consequences of this gift you've given me will ring through eternity. And souls will be identified with you throughout the ceaseless ages. So why would we want to keep it on those terms? That's the best investment you'll ever make in your life. Let's give it to him, friends. Everything. How much, Brother Donnie? Everything. Whatever he wants, give it to him. And he may be like Isaac. He may know that he won't have you to take Isaac's life. But he wants you to be willing to give it. So lay your Isaac on the altar. God bless you. I love you in the Lord. together I give myself away I give myself away I give myself away so you can use me I give myself i
Him just a little bit more before we go this morning. We tried to practice this song before church, kind of ran out of time, but it's, it's really been on my heart. It's just something we can praise the Lord with before we go this morning. Well, I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from every fear. Those who look on Him are radiant. will never be ashamed. will never be ashamed. Magnify the Lord of me. Oh, come and talk His name.
you go this morning. Let's just worship just a little bit more as we go. I'm going to make it. Everything Brother Donnie shared this morning, I'm weak, I'm stubborn, and I'm selfish. Those, those, we, we all have weaknesses. I've, I've got my weaknesses, but they won't be excuses. Amen. I'm going to make it. Those things are going to be put behind me. I'm going to get where I need to be. You, you feel the same way this morning? Appreciate the word this morning. Let's just sing that. I'm gonna make it He's already said that I will 